Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 291st episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where three days a week we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Nature doesn't waste energy, and by using these natural cycles to grow in our favor, we can harvest both plants and fish. Let us teach you how. Just text GROWFISH to 33444 or visit IWANTTOGROWFISH.COM and you will receive our free webinar on how to grow your own fish-powered garden. Today on our podcast, we have someone who found hope and healing through her own garden. We're talking to Jenny Peterson, no relation, about gardening for wellness and healing. Jenny is an Austin, Texas-based garden designer with her own firm, J. Peterson Garden Design, as well as a writer, author, and speaker. She specializes in designing, writing, speaking, all about gardens that enhance our quality of life, heal us from the inside out, and help to create balance and wellness. She is a breast cancer survivor and the author of The Cancer Survivor's Garden Companion, Cultivating Hope, Healing, and Joy, in the ground beneath your feet. That's from St. Lynn's Press. It came out last year, and she's the co-author of Indoor Plant Decor, the design style book for houseplants. Welcome to the show today, Jenny. Thank you, Greg. It's so great to be here with you today. And I'm excited to have a chat with you. Me too. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? I, I was actually thinking about this ahead of time, and as most people can relate to, I didn't have like one path to get here. You take detours all along the way, and I could oh, have yes. never planned. I right. know, it's crazy. Yeah, I, I could have never planned to be where I am today or be doing what I am today. It was not in my master plan, so I just I started out wanting to be a therapist. <laughs> oh, wow, okay. And so, I know, and then, yeah, so I kind of collected some degrees along the way, and and then I was, I decided to stay home with my children after I became a mother. So I was at an at-home mother for 10 years. And that's when I started thinking about, you know, maybe I want to get into garden design and I really enjoy it. And I, I come from a family of gardeners. And so it just seemed kind of a natural thing to do. And, and that's what happened. So it wasn't like this big career goal. And along the way, then I started writing and then I thought, hey, I really think I want to author a book. And so, I mean, it really was that oddball. 
Like it, mm-hmm. things just came up and I thought, yeah, that sounds like a cool thing to do. And then as fate sometimes happens, life steps in and yes, I was diagnosed does. with breast. Yeah. I got diagnosed with breast cancer mm, in 2012. Sorry. And well, you know, it's, it's a, it's a sorry, not sorry kind of thing because I would absolutely rather be where I am today mm-hmm. without having to have had that experience. But I'm convinced that my experience has been heightened because of that, that cancer diagnosis and treatment and recovery. And we can get into that more throughout the podcast. It's just about immersing yourself in life and taking advantage of the opportunities and the new things that pop up, being aware of opportunities as they pop up so you can take advantage of it. So yeah. that's kind of a, an oddball way how I got to where, <laughs> where I am today. Well, and having a end-of-life issue come up like that, I'm sure that it has you reevaluate probably everything, right? It does. Um, It sounds cliche, but it's absolutely true because you think you have a family member or friend that's diagnosed with cancer. Mm -hmm. People will often think or say, and people would say this to me, oh, I couldn't handle it the way you did, or I couldn't be as brave. And I say to everybody, yes, you can, because you never know what you're, how you're going to deal with something until you get it. But yeah. once you do, I mean, what are your options? You just right. kind of plow through and, and just handle it because, because you need to. Yeah, you know? so, yeah exactly. But I'm, I'm absolutely healthy now. I'm five years cancer-free, so nice. everything's good. Yay, yeah. yay. Yeah, yes, was, high five. <laughs> exactly. I was listening to one of my mentors, John Lee Dumas, the other day. He's got Entrepreneur on Fire podcast, and mm-hmm. he had a guest on, and the guest was talking about your health. And the guest said something like, I'm paraphrasing, and actually I can't remember whether it was JLD that said it or whether it was the guest that said it. Uh, But when you don't have your health, you have one goal in life. To get your health. To get your health back, exactly. (laughs) When you do have your health, the sky's the limit. Yeah, that's dark. I I totally resonate with that. Wow. Well, congratulations, and I'm glad you're still here with us and playing in this arena. (laughs) That makes two of us. Yeah, exactly. Probably more than two. <laughs> exactly. So you have a one-acre urban farm, and this says here in the heart of metropolitan Austin, Texas. You got an acre in. Yes. Oh wow! Tell us about it. So I know that back in the day, we live in South Austin, but back in the day, I'm sure that my neighborhood was on way on the outskirts and out in the country because our whole street is a series of half to full acre lots, mm, and so nice. it's. And but we're literally four houses away from the main bus line and we're literally minutes from downtown Austin. Wow. So it's not like a half hour in or an hour into downtown Austin. I, we're, we're minutes. I could cycle to downtown Austin. Oh, wow. So it's a very unique setup here. We feel like we're out in the country, but we're solidly in the city. I mm-hmm. can walk to my grocery store. I can walk to Wells Fargo bank. You oh. know, it's, it's a very, very, very unique setup. And we feel very fortunate to, to be here. I am envious. Yeah. So that's, the property but my husband brett and i we're total city kids and we grew up in the city brett was from the the los angeles area mm-hmm. i grew up as a military brat so we always lived on near big cities on army bases so right. my family and my in-laws family didn't they nobody came from farming and brett and i just started our urban farm about five years ago and it was like towards the tail end of when i was going through my cancer treatment mm-hmm. so we're very we're actually still pretty new at this. Anybody who's been farming for a while can say, oh my gosh, she's only been doing this for five years. Right. <laughs> but you, you learn as you go. We, we studied up on a lot of things, but at some point you just have to dive in and do it. And so we're having a, a great time with it. So tell me, when did you start calling it an urban farm and why? 
You know, it was probably three years ago we started calling it an urban farm because the first thing we did, we, we were always like growing food. Mm-hmm. So we, I guess we started with that. And then we had one goat uh, because he, the goat, it's a long story, but he was just kind of dropped off on our property and we didn't know anything about goats. We didn't <laughs> necessarily even want a goat. But, right. And then I realized, well, goats are herd animals and you can't just have one goat. Exactly. So, of course, you know the story there. We started getting more goats. And then we built the chicken coop, and and it just sort of happened that way. And then one day we were like, this isn't just like having a goat and growing tomatoes. We actually have a farm, and it's in an urban setting. We actually do have an urban farm. Even though the term urban farm is a bit trendy in recent years, we literally do have an urban farm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's and this whole notion of urban farming is exploding. It really is. I started my urban farm in 2001. I started calling it the urban farm here in Phoenix in 2001. And I used to do tours here at the urban farm. Actually, I still do. Periodically, we'll do tours of the yard. And back in 2001, the first Saturday of about nine months a year, I would stand in my front yard and wait for people to show up to have a tour of an urban farm. And back then... Oh, wow. Yeah. Back then, there were days, there were Saturdays when nobody showed up. And I would pack up my tent and I'd put it away and I'd start again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And these days, honest to God, these days, when I do a tour of the urban farm, I do them on Fridays and Saturdays. I do one on Friday morning and two on Saturday morning. And we'll get between 125 and 250 people that show up. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's something that is here and people are engaged. And are you finding that? Yes. Actually, I was thinking as you were talking, Greg, that the last two years, so uh, 2016 and 17, we were one stop on a self-guided tour called the Funky Chicken Coop Tour. Oh, nice. Yeah, here in Austin. And so it's a self-guided tour. And we we had been on the tour before as tourists, just Mm -hmm. going, not tourists, but people like literally in the literal sense of touring through the, the 10 stops. Then we thought, you know, we could be on the tour. So we, we applied to be on it. We were accepted. And so in 2016, we had almost 600 people through our backyard. Nice. And this year we had about 500. Wow. We were told that we were the favorite stop because we have such a wide open yard and we yep. have lots of different animals. And in the springtime when this tour is happening, we always have baby goats. So that's a big oh, draw. Oh, right. Exactly. Yes. So yes. it's just fun, you know, and it's great to open up your yard to in your farm to people. Mm-hmm. They, it's not like a petting kind of thing. They can't get in there and pet it for live, you know, pet the animals for liability reasons, but they right. can see everything and ask you questions. Yeah. So it's just great to share what we've learned so far and what the different mm-hmm. breeds are and how you start up with things. So it's, it's, people are very, very interested in it. Cool. Well, I want to plant a seed here because this is a really important methodology by which I do my tours. And for those mm-hmm. of you out there that have urban farms, this is a really, really great way to engage your community. And so I've been on the garden tours before. They're self-guided where people come and just walk through your garden for 20 or 30 minutes. Yeah. That's one kind of tour. I don't do those anymore. What we do here at the urban farm is they are guided tours. We start in the front yard. We'll spend 30 minutes in the front yard. We go into the backyard and I am leading the tour, speaking to people's questions. So it's much more, It's not. I don't really like to call it a tour. It's much more of an educational experience. Almost like a little seminar. 
but you know, kind of casual where it, people aren't, they're walking around and seeing instead of right. sitting in chairs. Exactly. That's a great idea. Well, and here's the best part. Well, okay. There's two best parts here. Best part. Number one <laughs> is it really engages people and gets them learning. So when you're doing one of those self-guided tours, you're taking it in one way. You're taking it in the view and maybe you get to talk to somebody. Yeah. When we're doing these guided tours, we're actually interacting with the people. They're asking questions. I'm going with them where they want to go. It's much more educational and based. So that's number one cool thing. The number two cool thing is I put a donation basket at the door. And Uh I say it's free. And if you would like to leave a donation, you can do that. And I'll tell you what, that has really helped fund a lot of projects here at the Urban Farm. So for those of you That's listening, a great idea. yeah, for those of you listening and Jenny, make it an educational event like that, number one, and attach a requested donation or a love offering. Some people call it love offerings, but a requested donation sure. in that, that really helps to invigorate the community. I'll tell you what, it's been 14, 15 years here at the Urban Farm and that model works really, really well. That's a really great idea. I wanted to share that because of how well it worked. 15 years ago when I started doing them, I was the only one doing chicken classes here in town, gardening classes here in town. Back then we had 4 million people in town. They say that imitation is the best form of flattery. What I've started seeing is multiple other people here in the Valley doing tours of their own. They're just basically, yeah, they're basically replicating my model. And I've said for at least a decade, if not a decade and a half, that we need a hundred of me and you, Jenny, out there in our in each of one of our towns to really yeah. get people engaged in this conversation. Yes. I welcome people stopping by. We we have neighbors that just stop by with their cocktail. Mm-hmm. They'll walk down the street and come in the back nice. and on the door. And yeah. yeah, and I and I welcome that because I want people to understand this is not just a trend. This this I think is moving into what I would call a cultural shift you know, a way of of living closer to the land and being more connected. And so I'm eager to do that with people and show them that it's fun. It is a responsibility because you're dealing with, of course, live animals. Right. But it's very rewarding and very interactive. And it's just a really cool thing to do. Oh, yeah. Well, and, you know, when you have a party, where does everybody gather? In the back. And they're they're always, especially in the springtime, you know, a baby goat will come out. That's right on a leash and yep. people take turns holding the baby goat or bottle yep. feeding. We had a bottle fed one this, this past spring. And nice. so, I mean, it's just, it, you could see people's tensions just melting mm-hmm. around these animals. Yeah. Let's go there. You write and speak about how to use a garden and the natural world around us for wellness. How does yeah. having an urban farm create wellness? A lot of us can immediately understand how a garden with beautiful plants and scented plants, how, how that impacts and creates wellness and mm-hmm. balance in your life. But for us, and I think for so many other people, the, the animals are an added layer of this because it really is, they depend on us for their care. We, we yeah. go out and we're hands-on with them. We feed them. We've assisted in the birthing process. We see animals through their whole life cycle. When you get that connected with the natural world via gardens, via urban farms, via, you know, raising animals, growing your own food, all those kinds of things, you can't help but feel less stressed, less anxious, more connected, happier, more balanced and more grounded. So the animals to me are a really integral part of this because it makes the whole, we don't just have a garden now, a cool garden. We have a live 
it's a live property. Mm-hmm. It's a living, thriving property, and the animals are key to that. Yeah. Well, they, they really are workers in the space, aren't they not? Oh, well, they do. Our litmus test is that every animal on our property has a job. So if my husband comes home and says, hey, I want to add a donkey, then, which we've actually had that conversation, my question back to him <laughs> nice. is, yeah, I'm like, first of all, I remind him we only have one acre. Right. <laughs> and, and second of all, I, the question is always, okay, well, let's talk about it. What would be the purpose of that animal? What mm-hmm. would be that animal's job? Because the animals have jobs. It's definitely their pets. And most of them have names, except for, I, you know, I can't name 35 chickens and keep track of them. Right. But all the other animals have names, and but they all have a job. So for us, the animals are a way of really filling out our whole notion of what it means to live as sustainably as possible with the least amount of impact on the earth and the environment around us. Mm-hmm. So it's, the jobs are important, and that, that's kind of our litmus test. What do your chickens do? What are their jobs? The chickens are great, as, as with the ducks, the chickens and ducks are great for pest control, organic pest control. Right. Of course, we get uh, the chickens and ducks both give us eggs. So those are their two big things. They all scratch up the ground and eat the bad bugs. And I'm sure they'll eat a couple of good bugs in the process, but that's their job. Right. The goats, we're not milking the goats yet. We're planning to do that this coming season, this coming kidding season. So we will get goat from them. Right now, the goats are great because they uh, we use their manure as well as the chicken and the duck manure. We put all of that into the compost pile and use it oh, in, yes. the, right. in the garden. Yeah. And so we also have a potbelly pig. You can use pig manure a little bit in composting. I'm, I'm careful about that um, because they eat so many different things. But she's a great overturner of roots and rocks and it's like natural aeration Mm -hmm. there with her and she's awesome let's see what else do we have we've got bees we're not yet collecting honey or beeswax because the the beehive is just a little over a year old and if we harvested from them we're taking away their food source right at the moment so so in the future we we will get that from them everything just kind of interacts together the ducks have a duck pond and Several times a week, we empty the, the duck, what we call the duck water, which is really kind of a compost water because mm-hmm. they ducks do their thing. Ducks do everything in the water. Yeah. So we reuse that compost water in the vegetable garden and in my tropical garden. Nice. So, nice. so everything is used. Everything has a job. We just try to refine it as we go. Yeah. Kari talks a lot. Kari Spencer is one of our teachers here at Urban Farm U, and she talks a lot about our backyard animals as workers. And you touched Mm -hmm. on a lot of them. So that's in our Backyard Livestock class, if anybody's interested. So what led to you writing your book, The Cancer Survivor's Garden Companion? I know that the big piece was, oh my gosh, I have cancer. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, the obvious piece is because I had cancer. Mm -hmm. But you know, things intersect in ways that you can never plan. Like I was saying, before cancer, I was a garden designer, an avid gardener, and not yet an urban farmer but definitely grew food. It's safe to say that throughout my most of my life, I've had a connection with nature and gardens and the natural world. Mm-hmm. When I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2012, I kind of, to be honest, I was fairly lucky in that I kind of sailed through treatment with, I, I'm not going to, nobody gets through treatment with no side effects. So I'm not going to say that, but I didn't have horrifying side effects for right. the most part. It was my recovery that was difficult. Yeah. And a lot of times people think, well, you're done with your cancer treatment. Now it's life back to normal. And that's not the way it usually happens. Mm-hmm. It, and it did not happen that way for me. So 
is during my the first year of my recovery, I had a lot of medication interactions and I felt depressed. Mm. I was, you're very shored up by friends and family while you're going through treatment. And then afterwards, it's kind of like people stop asking mm-hmm. how you're feeling. And I felt very depressed. And I wasn't going out to the garden and the yard like I was. And my husband noticed. And he's like, you know, this isn't good for you to be staying inside like you're doing. So as a surprise for my 50th birthday, this was in 2013. I'm now 54. Mm-hmm. I was out of town at a speaking engagement in California. And when I came back, while I was gone, he and a buddy had built me a yoga deck in my backyard. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's freestanding in the backyard. In fact, the garden that now surrounds it is a tropical garden, and that is the picture on the cover of my book, The Cancer Survivor's Garden Companion, Mm -hmm. is from that garden. So I started just going out there and doing my yoga and meditation, and I realized some days, Greg, to be honest, I wasn't feeling it just like everybody else. I'm no different from anyone else. I would go out there and I'd sit and cry. I wouldn't do any yoga or meditation. Yeah. I'd just sit and cry and mm-hmm. I would think how crappy I felt. And then little by little, there's something that's slightly magical about being in the outdoors. And then you have the sounds of your chickens clucking in the background and laying eggs. And we had the one goat at the time mm-hmm. and maybe two goats. And little by little, after about 10 minutes, you feel your mood start to lift. You know, you've got the breeze on your cheek and you're smelling the smells and hearing the sounds. And I started thinking, I need to use my garden in a different way. And if because if I'm having this experience going through my recovery, I know other people are too. Yeah. So I started, that's when I started thinking about writing this book. And I was originally just going to write a more general book about how to use the garden for wellness and relaxation and healing. But my publisher, Paul Kelly from St. Lynn's Press, very wisely said, Jenny, I I think we really need to tie this very closely to your cancer experience and even have the word cancer in the title of the book. And I was so glad that he guided me in that direction because it's provided such an impact for people going through the same experience. And these are shared experiences that we all have. This isn't like just a Jenny Peterson experience. A lots of people going through cancer treatment, recovery, or living with terminal cancer. Mm-hmm. I like to say that there's a whole world of healing right outside your own back door, right outside the back door. And so this book was my way of putting all of my thoughts and, and experiences into like a body, mind, spirit experience of, wow. of how we can use our gardens and outdoor spaces for these very purposes. Yeah. So that was the story of the book. Yeah. So I'm thumbing through it. I have a PDF of it and I get to Wonderful. the, I get to the dedication page. And one of the striking things about the dedication page is behind both your parents, it says cancer. So both your parents mm-hmm. had cancer. Yeah. And what we're seeing more and more these days is more and more cancer. I mean, how many people out there know somebody that has cancer? Yeah. I was going to say, when I do my speaking engagements, I always ask for a voluntary show of hands. Not everybody wants to volunteer private information, but I'll say, raise your hand if you're a cancer survivor and a number of hands go up. And then I say, raise your hand if you know somebody who has been impacted by cancer and there's not one hand down. Everybody has a hand up. Exactly. And this is where we we need to become responsible for our own health. I've said for years, there's three things in our life that cause dis-ease in our bodies, cancer included, and that is environmental toxins, lack Mm -hmm. of nutrition in our food. Absolutely. And stress. Yes. 
And we can... Stress causes inflammation. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So simply by sticking your hands in the dirt, we can have yeah. an impact on all three of those areas. It's true. People listening to this podcast right now, I'm sure they're, they're thumbing through and thinking, well, of course, we know the garden is, is healthy. You can grow healthy food. But a lot of times that's where people's thought process stops. You get a little bit of light cardio and some stretching and you're growing healthy food. Mm-hmm. But it's so, that's just scratching the, the, that's the tip of the iceberg with how healthy gardening is. Yeah. You, you mentioned the healthy soil bacteria. Not every bacteria is unhealthy. There's mycobacterium vacae. Yep. Is that correct? Yep. And I say it differently every time. That's all right. You're good. <laughs> but, but, you know, you get your hands into contact with the soil and you're, and you're inhaling this beneficial visual bacteria that helps to support your immune system and suppresses cortisol and releases serotonin in your brain. And these are all things that are happening silently, but it all works together when you're out in nature, out yeah. in the garden. In my opinion, very magical. Oh, beyond magical. It is. So the cool thing for me, I'll bet you have an in-home office, right? I do. So do I. In fact, I'm in my in-home office right now recording this podcast. And the cool thing for me is during the day, if I get a little stressed, I just go out to the yard. I know. I do the same thing. Right? I go, go visit my chickens. Yep. I go play with the goats. Yep. Go out to the yoga deck and do some sun salutations yep. or some stretching. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. I'm so lucky. I highly recommend it for you all out there. <laughs> Me too. So before we got started, we had a little pre-conversation and you told me about something that wasn't on your bio here. And I really want to dig in a little bit on this. And that's your wellness tip of the day. Tell me about that and how people can find it and why do you do it and what's it about? Because I write and speak about creating wellness and balance and joy in your life. And often with the garden and the natural world as a backdrop, it was about a year ago, a good friend of mine, Laura Eubanks, who has the succulent tip of the day on mm-hmm. Facebook, uh-huh. wildly successful with that. She was at my wedding and she said, Jenny, you really need to do a wellness tip of the day. You just have to do it. So I just started doing it. I didn't plan for it. I literally within that week started just doing it. I just picked up my phone. I didn't know what app to use for editing or anything because a lot of times you can just talk yourself out of a good idea because you get oh, yeah. freaked out about what you don't know. Right. So I just decided, okay, I'm going to do it. So it's Monday through Friday. I do a wellness tip of the day. They're very short videos, Greg. They're usually three minutes or less. Uh Sometimes on Fridays, like right now, I'm in the Facebook Live series on Fridays. And those are a little bit longer, like 20 to 30 minutes, because it is live Mm -hmm. and where I have a dedicated topic. But I talk about anything from healthy living, relationships, urban farming, growing food, recipes, cooking, exercise, all sorts of things. And I usually I'm reporting from my backyard, but I often take my iPhone to the gym or I take, it's always with me on vacation, wherever I am, or I'll interview people. Uh And I just feel like it's great to have these conversations with people to help connect people to the natural world around them and to, to living whole, happy, balanced lives. And I think I'm very passionate about connecting each other and, and having connections with people over these topics, because this is what people are, we crave this, that wellness and that contentment day to day. And and we want to have these conversations. So, so just kind of my way of doing my thing, but in a very more interactive and visual way with Mm -hmm. people on a daily basis. Perfect. It's on my public profile, Jenny Nibro Peterson. So 
so anybody can see it. Perfect. You don't have to like a page to see it. Uh Um, And it's Monday through Friday, usually anywhere from like 9 to 10 in the morning is when I post. Nice. Do you post them on YouTube as well? Yes, I do. Perfect. What's your YouTube channel? Anywhere anybody can find me on the internet, I'm on as Jenny Nybro-Peterson. So it's very easy to find me. So I am a big, big, big believer in ongoing education. And there's so many different ways that you can learn. And the wellness tip of the day is just one of them. And it's a simple three-minute take time to breathe in the morning. Exactly. Right? When I do this, as an educator, you'll get this too. When I do my wellness tips, I'm learning from them as well because yeah. I'm reminding myself yep. of things that, that I know but I have maybe forgotten. <laughs> and it's also a way of not of kind of holding myself accountable and, and of creating a, a community where we can all be supportive of each other as we seek to have healthy and balanced and well lives. Yeah. Amen to that. Amen to that. Amen. So so I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. So that is a really good question. I tend to be one of those kind of cockeyed optimists um, where I'm always kind of looking around at at opportunities. So Mm -hmm. when you asked the question, I thought, well, I often don't think of things as failures. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of an enlightening light bulb moment for me to begin with. And I don't mean that in a Pollyanna way. I just mean that anything that happens in your life, good or bad, it's always an opportunity for something. You get to decide what the something is. Right. But that being said, back in the early 2000s, I went through a period of a couple of years where I I really struggled, like desperately struggled with anxiety and panic attacks. Mm. And while at the time, like, you know, now looking back on it, Greg, I wouldn't say that was a failure. When you're anybody who's had anxiety and panic feels that way, you feel like a failure. You feel like, why can't I be stronger? Why can't I just get rid of this? And so those are the feelings that I had. It's not how I define anxiety now, but that, but it, but those are the feelings that create can you. So it was a kind of bring you to your knees, talking to Jesus kind of two years where you have to figure out how you're going to redo your life because you can't get through it having daily panic attacks. So what I learned from that was to be very mindful and be very present because anxiety is all about projecting into the future things that have not even happened and probably will not even happen. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So the more present and mindful you can be, the higher opportunity you have, the more opportunities you have for being healthy, for being balanced, content, happy, Mm -hmm. and relaxed. So that's what I learned from that. And it's been, an, like you say, it's an ongoing education and learn in refining that and learning better ways and more ways to be mindful and in that moment to experience that moment. Wow. It's that's very powerful. Great. Yeah. You know, one of the things I notice in you is something I also notice in me is that I'm, I'm always looking for that lesson. And that's really the reason I ask this question is mm-hmm. because as we're going through life and as we're in our garden, Things happen. Yes. I have killed more plants than most everybody. Not on purpose. Yes, exactly. But I didn't let it stop me. Exactly. Well, isn't and and isn't the garden the best teacher of that? Absolutely. Of being in the moment. The garden is and nature is in that moment. There's only that moment. And and I'm constantly Mm -hmm. reminded of that when I'm outside and in the garden. I'm also in my fifties. I'm fifty-six. Over the past decade or so, I have learned to really get focused on right this moment. Mm-hmm. 
What really matters is what's going on right now. I have no control over what's happened in the past. And I do, while I do have some control about what's happening in the future, that's still in the future. It hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And most of the, like you said, this whole worrying thing is about a future projection. Mm-hmm. Most of that stuff never happens. It never happens. <laughs> never. Yeah. <laughs> Almost never. Yeah. Right. Exactly. exactly. Well, and you know, I tell so. myself the mind is a very, very powerful thing. And if, if the mind can create these feelings of anxiety and panic and do all these crazy things mm-hmm. to make your body feel so horrible, the mind mm-hmm. can also do the opposite. So yes. And create feelings of contentment and happiness and well-being. It's just kind of a lifelong education and process of learning how to find ways of doing that and find ways right. of harnessing your mind and knowing where your mind naturally wants to go and bringing yeah. it back onto course when you find it yeah. getting off course. So, exactly. Yeah. I want to tell a quick story. So I've in my life, I had a cancer scare. It turned out it wasn't cancer. Mm-hmm. Good. But there was a six-week period of my life where it was, oh, yep. you know, I, the S word. I know that you know, feeling. What's going on? <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. It kind of throws you under the bus. Mm-hmm. When, that, when you get hit, hit with that, that message, it throws you under the bus. So four weeks into this process, I'm back at the doctors. I've worked through the process in my mind, not projecting in the future, getting really present to what's going on right now. I did my research. There was a really good chance that it wasn't cancer. I'm sitting in the doctor's office, and this speaks to how powerful our brain is. I'm sitting in the doctor's office. I'm feeling great. Whatever pain that was there that was happening, I had worked through it, and I wasn't taking any medicines for it. I'd worked through it, and there was no pain. The doctor walks in, and he says, Greg, if you have cancer, this is what we're going to do to you. Oh, my gosh. And it was probably because we asked, because this doctor happens to be a really good doctor. Yeah. So he starts telling us the process if this thing is cancer. And literally before I left his office, all of my pain was back. Wow. Because you know what, Greg, that's what you're focused on. That was what you were focused on. And I I would never tell somebody, I am not a proponent of positive thinking. And Uh here's why. It's not that I want people to not be positive, but I think positive thinking is a little shallow and it doesn't go deep enough. Positive thinking can sometimes mean your feet aren't firmly planted on the ground and you're just going to, you know, whistle past the graveyard there. So I'm a proponent of creating hope, which I think is a much deeper deeper, deeper sense of your life than a positive attitude. Mm-hmm. So, and me, for me as a speaker and a writer, words are very important. Oh, big time. So I say hope rather than the positive attitude, but, but still it's where your mind goes. Right. If you focus on all the things that are crappy in your life and the things that are causing you pain, that's, it's going to be magnified. That's what you get. Right. Yeah. You get what right. you seek is, is what I think. Yeah. As in this case, the pain returned literally before I left oh, his office. Goodness. The testament to the power of our brain. We have to be so incredibly careful about what we're thinking mm-hmm. and what we're speaking. Yes. Just get conscious about that. Exactly. So what do you consider your biggest success? I think almost any mother would say their children, but I, I decided I wasn't going to say that because my kids are grown and they are mm-hmm. they have made so many of their own great, wonderful decisions that I think I can't claim too much credit for them. <laughs> Right. But they're great kids. So shout out to Max and Luke. 
But I would say, you know, in terms of like how most people would define success, mm-hmm. I like to look for little successes along the way. But I recently yeah. had a big one in that my book, The Cancer Survivor's Garden Companion, was awarded a silver medal from the Garden Writers Association just like a couple of months no. ago. Yes, I was oh, so excited. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Because it had won the silver, it was also then automatically considered to win the gold. It did not win the gold, but I was abs- I didn't even know I was being considered for any award. Right. So the silver to right. me was like, hey, I will take that. I am ecstatic about it. So <laughs> we, we just had our, our big conference up in Buffalo, New York last month, and it was so exciting and so gratifying to know that yes. the work that you do is helpful to other people. And Absolutely. not it's not so much the recognition, it's what the recognition signifies that this book is helpful and it did its job. Mm-hmm. The book is doing its job. Yeah. I, I was so excited about that. Yeah. So I'm going to call the epic flag on this one. Whenever I, somebody <laughs> shares something with me, and my listeners know this, whenever somebody shares something with me that's epic and it gives me chills all the way down to my toes, yeah, that's like, congratulations, that is totally epic. <laughs> Thank you. It is epic. Yeah. <laughs> I love that word. <laughs> so what drives you? It's a very good question. I really was thinking about that. I think what really drives me is when I see where what I am passionate about and therefore I've gained some skill in where that meets up with other people's needs. When I can see that crossover, mm-hmm. so when I can see when my work is having a positive impact on the people around me, helping other people to be happier and healthier or helping to make my community better, that drives me. So I would mm-hmm. say that it's the meaning that comes out of my work and the way I try to live my life. When mm-hmm. I see that crossover, anybody can say this for themselves. It's where your greatest passion in life intersects with another person's or the world's need. I think that's that sweet spot. And so I feel like that when I feel that sweet spot, man, I can go for months without any kind of worldly definition of success because I, because then, you know, things are, it has meaning. It's got meaning. That is an epic definition. Would you repeat that? So it's where your passion meets up with the world's need. And that's where the sweet spot is. Woohoo! Beautiful. Yay! I don't think I made that up. I think I heard that years ago, but it but it, it it obviously lingered and stayed with me. Cool. Thank you for that. Absolutely. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? It's a book, funny enough, I'm not even done with it yet, but I'm currently reading this book. I'm about halfway through. It's called The Nature Fix. The oh. subtitle Yeah, the subtitle is Why Nature Makes Us Happier, Healthier, and More Creative. And the author oh. is Florence Williams. So, so good. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. It has a lot of different components to it. She really does back it up with, like, research and data. But it, that sounds super dry, and I'm not into dry books at all. She also uh-huh. has a lot of commentary in her own personal experience and other people's experiences and things like that. So for obvious reasons, that really speaks to me. And I, I found that book. I became aware of it at the Garden Writers Conference last month when I was up there for that award. Uh-huh. Somebody recommended that book to me, and I, I immediately downloaded it on my Kindle app. It's an awesome book. Not even done with it so far, but highly recommend it. The Nature Fix, Why Nature Makes Us Happier, Healthier, and More Creative. Came out this year. It's by Florence Williams. Cool. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? So this one might make some people laugh. I'm a huge proponent in the value of sleep. (laughs) And I think that 
I can do almost anything in my life if I get enough sleep. My Facebook Live series on Fridays, in fact, I just did my Facebook Live today right before you and I spoke. I've Mm -hmm. been on technology and filming things all day long. But today it was on using sleep to manage your anxiety symptoms. So there's all sorts of weird things that happen in your brain when you're sleep deprived. It, It can cause anxiety and depression and disrupt your hormones and a lot of bad things can happen when you don't get sleep. And I've always been a huge sleeper, always in my, since I was a child, I used to put myself to bed without my parents wow. having to drag me off there. And <laughs> nice. so I know I was like, my parents thought I was the strangest kid. I've always loved sleeping. Sleep is huge for me. And my advice is to do whatever you can in a healthy way to get the amount of sleep that your body and your brain needs. Because I am telling you, when you wake up refreshed, Mm-hmm. You can do almost anything. You're going to feel happier, healthier, more grounded. You're going to have better energy to handle things that life throws at you. And yeah. that's the kind of day that we all want. And if you are sleep right. deprived, you're struggling the minute you open your eyes. So that's yeah. my that's my life advice is to get a good night's sleep consistently. Nice. Well, that, And that's where a lot of the healing happens. It does. Your body is restoring itself, processing through yeah. the day's stress while it sleeps. Pretty incredible our bodies. I used to say before my sweetheart Heidi came along, I used to say, I'll sleep when I'm dead. (laughs) And I used to sleep four to five hours a night. And that was my, it wasn't me waking up with an alarm. I'd go to bed at 11 and I'd wake up at four. So now what I've discovered, I have to go to bed at nine Mm -hmm. because my body still wakes up at four, four thirty-five o'clock. So I think sometimes when people say, and my husband is one of these people, he'll say, well, I just don't need as much sleep as you do, which might be true. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I need like a good solid eight hours. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to really feel on top of the world, I need nine hours, but I don't often get that. Yeah. But seven for absolute sure. He gets several hours less than I do. But I just don't think if someone's telling yourself that four hours is enough, it's not enough. You might not need eight hours, but four hours is not enough for anybody. That's my advice. I'm sticking to it. Amen to adding sleep to your life. Amen. <laughs> Can I get an hallelujah? <laughs> yeah, so that too. That too. Oh my God, it's so important. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Jenny. It's been a pleasure having you. It has been my pleasure. I love spending time like this with people like you and get, getting to meet you at least virtually. I hope we get to meet in yeah. person someday. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> so how can our listeners get a hold of you? I'm going to make it easy for everybody. So Facebook, Instagram, my blog, YouTube, everything is Jenny Nibro Peterson. And you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Jenny, J-E-N-N-Y. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Nature doesn't waste energy, and by using these natural cycles to grow in our favor, we can harvest both plants and fish. Let us teach you how. Just text GROWFISH to 33444 or visit IWANTTOGROWFISH.COM and you will receive our free webinar on how to grow your own fish-powered garden. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, 
Hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18 and that was a long time ago. Then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.